We're halfway there and living on a prayer. Today we're going to talk about why the book of Chronicles may seem boring, but it's actually super important. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, and uh, today it's going to be a great day. We're going to talk about uh, Chronicles, the second half, and uh, it's going to be wonderful and challenging, and uh, some repeat, and it might seem boring, but it's actually super profitable. Oh, super good stuff, yeah. And we are halfway. Yes, we are halfway through our year-long Bible reading plan as a church, and uh, yeah, how are you guys doing? Hopefully you're doing well. Yeah, hopefully you're not watching this in June of 2022. It's possible. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you started reading the Bible, though. Yeah. I'd hopefully you be- didn't start in January. And you, but, you know, hey, that's fine with me. Yeah, I'd be happy if you're reading the Bible at all. That's great. Get it done. Yeah, yeah. It, doesn't care. it doesn't matter if it takes 10 years, I guess. Um, no, but yeah, so how's the reading going so far? I wonder for people that are watching. Yeah, I don't know. You can comment and let us know if like, yeah. How, we made it, I think, really accessible with a five-day-a-week reading plan, so... Hope it's accessible. I've heard of some people um, like getting sidetracked a little bit and then jumping b- right back into it. Yeah. And I have heard that these videos actually make it easier for people to follow along with. You know, so that's our hope. Yeah, yeah. So that's I think it's going so, well. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you've gotten this far, though, congrats. Even if it's taking you longer than you wanted to to get here, that that's awesome. Right? Yeah. Reading the Bible is so profitable. Um, as we said at the beginning, this is one of the most important spiritual disciplines, maybe the most important spiritual discipline that we have in terms of how we can see from studies direct spiritual growth results, mm-hmm. uh, as much as you can measure that, uh, Bible reading is number one. Yeah, it's it's how our minds are renewed, it's how we're transformed. And Sorry, it's bugging me here. What's that? A little, little piece of hay or something there. Oh, it's probably from my hay bale moving in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, feeding all the livestock. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah, I know how you guys are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so keep. You know, it's it's if if you're reading on on track, it's summertime now. So keep those those habits that have gotten you this far. Don't get sidetracked just because it's it's summer. I had a good friend who used to say there are no spiritual vacations. So if you're a college student, high school student, you're reading through the Bible. Um, don't take a break from your spiritual walk just because it's summer. Okay, we don't do that. That's not how it works. So, um, so keep those habits right, and think through as maybe right now even think through what are the things that you've been doing that have helped you to stay consistent with this. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said from the beginning, for me, it's having the same time, uh, same you know habit, the same rhythm of my day. That's what helps me to do this. If I if I get off in my day, it's very hard to make sure things get done. So I, I read the same place, the same time, uh, every single day. So I don't have to think about anything. I just get up and do it right. as a habit. Yeah. Get that Bible reading done. It's a, yeah, it's a joy. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more joyful I think it becomes. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what's helped you in your reading? I mean, do, consi- doing this probably? Consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> we have to. Yeah. We have to prepare for, for uh, recording videos on the books themselves. Yeah. That helps. Um, I, like you said, consistency is the biggest thing. Having conversations with people about it, like your friends, you know, we're doing it as a church. And so people can partner kind of together with it. And just conversations I have with people. Like on small things, whether hey, it's it's been difficult for me to wake up early, so that's like hasn't been working out, or finding that time for consistency definitely helps me. It helps other people too, and I think just talking to people about what you've been reading, yeah. like it encourages us to have conversations about God's word, God's word, and ask questions about things that were difficult. Absolutely, because we don't even answer every question on the text here in the in the uh, 
uh, in the, you know, the video, but I, you know, we have some friends that all work together and they all listen to it when they're at work. And so yeah. I think that helps them, you know, remind them to, to, to go read. So I don't know. It's fun, it's fun to just like laugh too about different things you read in the Bible, just to find humor and, yeah. and some entertainment value in it. I, I've had some people mention stuff to me like, what's going on here? I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know how many conversations I've had about Elijah and the Baldy and the bears, the she bears. Elijah, yeah. 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 Just, it's such a good one. Yeah. So that's a pretty classic that keeps coming up. So anyway, enjoy it with community is my point. That I think that helps uh, us do our year-long Bible reading if we know we're doing it together with our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And so. also, if you want to stay the course of reading your, your Bible, don't have a, a baby. That also helps a lot. Don't That helps. Yeah, that really messes up your schedule. So. Yeah. But yeah. hey, we've managed to, to plow through in spite of that. I, I will, I'll give a small... I don't really think this is great for the main diet of your Bible reading, but the audio Bible sometimes is profitable, like if you're on a car drive and stuff like that. The problem is we all know that when you turn on your audio Bible, you tend to not soak in all the the information, right? You tend to not really be listening. You're multitasking. You're not really engaged in God's Word as much. Yeah, I think there's a time for it, like maybe... Maybe you uh, you know read your morning devotional and then you listen to that same passage on your way to work or something like that. Yeah, you know, so that's not, that's not a bad idea. I, th- I think it, like using audio Bible as a supplement is really profitable along with your actual physical reading. Yeah, no, so, I agree. I agree. I think it's yeah. it's a poor replacement, mm-hmm. but it's better than not reading it. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So again, we'll we'll take what we can get. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into Chronicles then. Yeah, let's, let's jump let's, back in. Yeah, exactly. So it's as we talked about many times. It's it's one. The original writing was one whole book, right? So let's review a little bit where we were because it's one cohesive story. So That's where right. we at so far in the Book of Chronicles? Yeah, yeah. So we said, you know, when the Bible repeats something, we want to really pay attention to that because mm-hmm. it's repeating it for a reason. Obviously. A lot of what we're reading in Second Chronicles is similar to Second Kings. Mm-hmm. Some of it will be repeated in Isaiah, Jeremiah. Um, there's going to be some overlap there. But uh, what we talked about last week was, okay, why was Chronicles written? What is this all about? And really what I said last week is this, this book is so underrated for Christians. And I, like we said, it's because of that repetition. But we have to see that. Kings has a distinct focus, First and Second Kings, and Chronicles mm-hmm. also has a, a distinct focus. So the writer of Kings is writing to a specific audience for a certain purpose, right. and the chronicler, the author of Chronicles, is doing the same thing. So in the audience of Kings, as we've already mentioned, this is all review, but audience of Kings was Jews during the exile. Mm-hmm. So Kings was written during the exile. Chronicles was written after the exile because we see that it ends with this return uh, this proclamation from Cyrus to return. Right. So the message is different. So in Kings, the author is trying to answer the question of, is God in control? Is he sovereign if his people have been, it seems like, abandoned by God? Right. right? Why has this happened to us as right. God's people? But in Chronicles, the, the chronicler is, is asking the question, does God still care about his people, and is he going to still be in covenant with them? Is he still in a relationship? Yeah. Or have things changed? Now there's been this 70-year gap of God being or his people being away from him in a sense in terms mm-hmm. of location. So this is this is very interesting. So the chronicler is looking back and he's interpreting the entire history of the Bible. Right. Starts in starts with Adam, right? right. And the first goes word, through right. all of it. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't go in detail through all of it, but he, he spends his most of his time with the kings. But he's looking back and saying this is the whole story, and he's looking forward and saying here's what's to come because of what we've seen in the past. Right. So we said that that this is actually the last book in the Jewish Bible. So it's supposed to be a summary of the whole Bible, 
a whole Old Testament, I should say. And uh, so for us as, as Christians, we got to be aware of that and see the, the whole scope of Chronicles. And um, so we're, we're going to be looking at this. It, Chronicles, because of that focus, because of focusing on the exiles and they've already returned and this is hope. Mm-hmm. Is there still hope? It's very focused on the kings of Judah. Yeah. It's, it's almost exclusively the kings of Judah, right. not the kings of Israel. Um, and it's very focused on the, the temple and the religious practice of Israel. You know, is, is that like to, hey, why is it, what's the point of that? Because really that, that's, that's going to be the whole lens through which Israel's past and future history is examined. Right. So is there a faithful king on the throne and is God being worshipped? Mm-hmm. And really what we'll see is those two are completely intertwined. That kingdom and, and priesthood. You got something, you got something on? You got to turn that sound off, my friend. People are going to be like, what's going on? No, probably the mic's not even pick it up. It's just <laughs> going to be annoying to Caleb over there. I can see him. He's just twitching. Um, what was I saying, though? Oh, yeah. So those two, king and, and priest, king and temple, mm-hmm. are going to be this this key um, framework for understanding the entire entire Bible. Yeah. I think it was useful what you said a little bit ago about how uh, Chronicles is actually the last book in the Jewish Bible. It really makes sense, like in a literary sense, like that we just went through all the stuff and it's repeating right now. It makes sense that it would be a little later overviewing where we're at in the story of God's people and what they're looking forward to, right? That's right. That good king that you know from the line of Judah and stuff like that. So I think Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think it makes sense for me when I'm reading, again, like we said in the intro, like a book that seems really boring, um, that helps me to understand what's actually going on and why it's written in this way and you know why it's placed right here, we don't really know. I don't know. That's right. Yeah, well, and as I'm, I'm reading through it again, I'm seeing so many of those, those themes. Like the way that... Everyone has selection bias. We talk about this in the news, right? <laughs> yeah. What stories you report, what stories you don't report. Well, it's the same for the chronicler. Mm. He, he cuts out a bunch of stuff. Right. That's very important. But he includes things that we haven't heard before. Fake news. Fake and, news, man. <laughs> and, and what we see is actually he's selecting those for a real reason. So if you read the book through the lens of thinking constantly, I'm a returned exile. Right. It's very instructive about what caused exile and what's going to redeem God's mm. people and what matters for them right. to avoid having to happen again. Right. So, yeah, so there's there's a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, we saw it with, like, David earlier on, right? Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of, you know, horrible details about David. Hey, same with Solomon, too, you know? But, yeah, yeah it's not the point. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not not. It's a very positive account <laughs> of David and Solomon, as, mm-hmm. we'll, as we'll see later. Cool. So last week we looked through the the book of First Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty straightforward framework, right? The first nine chapters of First Chronicles are genealogies. Mm-hmm. People have called this, you know, biblical unisom mm-hmm. or somnex or whatever you know drugs you use to fall asleep. <laughs> uh, this is just a really easy way to do that. And what we're seeing through this is, like we said, Adam all the way up to David. God is sovereign though in bringing about His nation. Mm-hmm. God's very intentional, and He's been intentional from the very beginning. Right. So, so it, God's not going to abandon them now. The rest of First Chronicles are David and his accomplishments, mm-hmm. especially as temple builder. Right now, he doesn't build the temple, right. but he prepares for the building of the temple. Exactly. He's very involved in worship and in the practice of worship of the Israelites. And so, we see that the true messianic king has to also be a worshiper and has to be concerned about God's place. Yeah, David writes some banger songs, right? He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's, we said it's a very idealized history. He's, he's, it's very positive. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's not whitewashing because it, the author of Chronicles knows that everyone who's reading his book has already read First and Second Kings, right? First and Second Samuel. Yeah. He knows that. And he actually, just some kind of hints at that. 
But he's just not focusing on that. He's focusing on David and Solomon through more of a messianic lens, right. through what the messianic exactly. kingdom will be someday. Yep. Yeah, I so know. And, and, he, and he wants to be very positive. It is a very positive book. There's a lot of death still, I know. <laughs> but he's very positive because he wants the exiles who have returned to be positive about God's future for them. You're right. It's going to be far better than David and Solomon. Right. Um, and look at how, how much good there was in those reigns. Mm-hmm. So, and then we're going to see, so Second Chronicles, we'll kind of split it in two parts. So chapters 1 through 9, kind of like the, the First Chronicles, but 1 through 9 is Solomon and the building of the temple. That's the big focus is the temple being built. And then the second half of the book or the rest of the book, 10 to 36, is the kings of Judah. Right. And um, their, their discipline and restoration. And we'll see that kind of pattern again and again. Cool. Well, ready to jump into it? Let's do it. Awesome. Second Chronicles. That's right. So, um, so I won't go into a ton of detail in terms of Solomon because we've been through a lot of this before. Mm-hmm. But there's no mention really of of Solomon's you know polygamy and his his apostasy and all that. It's just it's heavily focused on the temple. So right. now we have to kind of think through a little bit of the temple. What this is all about. Um, the tabernacle, as we mentioned before, was a temporary dwelling. Mm-hmm. So again, if you if this is your first time going through the Bible, the tabernacle was built with Moses. Mm-hmm. You remember that in, in Exodus, and it was a tent. It was literally a tent, and right. they built it um, as a way, you know, to tear it down, put it back up everywhere they went. Yeah, they're mobile. No. And God was dwelling in a tent because His people were dwelling in tents. Mm-hmm. Right? He's moving with them and dwelling with them. It shows God's identification with His people, His care for His people. But more importantly, his his purpose to redeem. So we saw, we went in detail. If you missed it, go back and, and watch the one for the second half of Exodus. We go through the items in the tabernacle in detail. What does the ark represent? What did these, you know, the, the showbread table and the lights and all these things represent? Um, so I don't want to get into all of that, but what's the purpose of the temple as opposed to the tabernacle? Well, mm-hmm. the, the temple is supposed to image the permanent dwelling of God. It's pretty pretty straightforward, right? It's a physical building that is permanent, right. at least, you know, it gets destroyed, but it's permanent for that time. And when when Solomon makes the temple, it differs from the tabernacle in a number of ways. So one of the ways it differs is, well, obviously it's not a tent, duh, but it he doubles all the dimensions of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So it's twice as big. So this is, this is a picture of God's permanent dwelling. Right. So Solomon makes that intentionally to represent... Um, God and his dwelling. And, and Solomon acknowledges in his prayer that there's no building that can contain God. Yeah, that's really interesting how he adds that in. Like you think, you know, the first thing that I go to is, well, why is, you know, why are they building a, a finite thing for infinite God, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so he's saying, he's acknowledging that this can't, but it, it's a picture of God's dwelling. Mm-hmm. So when they're coming forward and offering sacrifices, as we saw previously, it's a picture of them approaching God. Right. And acknowledging their sin, asking for forgiveness, right? Leaning on the sacrifice that God provides and and approaching him through that sacrifice. Right. Now, one thing I know I was that was really clear to me as I was reading through the temple is there's a lot more mentions of vegetation mm-hmm. present in the temple. I don't mean that literally like there was, you know, house plants or anything like that in the temple, <laughs> but throughout and I I just kind of underlined as I went different mentions of Fruit or flowers or palm trees or things like that. And you could go back and do that. Or if you haven't read through yet, you could go through that and do it. Notice all the mentions of flowers and gourds, pomegranates, things like this. There's a ton of detail in the temple that 
is is like paradise, mm-hmm. right? It's these these mentions of these things. There's there's water is prominent with the big basin in the front of the temple, and there are there's gold and precious stones throughout. Right? right? He, I mean, heavy heavy use of gold. And I guess if you're Solomon, you got to use gold <laughs> in everything. It's like a modern president of ours that loves gold. Um, but there's and there's also many many images of cherubim. Mm-hmm. So all of this for us, as we're reading through the Bible, it should set off alarm bells right in our head of like, wait, this this is all very familiar. This is right. all Genesis chapter two, right? Right. Remember Genesis two when God creates Eden, He places man there, and it's it's full of obviously it's a lush paradise, right, with fruit and trees and all these things and flowers, but it also um, there's water, there's rivers running through it, mm-hmm. and there's gold and precious stones, right. right? There's mention of gold and and precious things, so. And then, of course, after man is expelled from the garden, there's these cherubim that guard the garden. Right. So all of this is designed to be a picture for us of the Garden of Eden. Hmm. That's not controversial. I'm not the first one to think of that, obviously. I've, there's tons of people who have written about this. But that's the idea of a temple, is a, a return to the Edenic paradise. Right. That's the whole idea. So how can man get back to a place where there is abundant provision from God, there is... Uh, freedom and rest, and also most importantly, communion. Yeah, yeah, relationship with God. Oh. That's the most important thing. So the temple is a picture of this is how you return to Eden. Yeah. Now the temple of Israel wasn't unique in that way. Right. You know, the ancient Near Eastern temples were were like this. Hmm. Um, and of course, the most the most famous example that people would point to would be the the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Right. This lush paradise in the middle of a desert. To say. It, it, visually to people, we have found a way to return to Eden. Hmm. That's the whole idea. Right. And, um, and of course, none of those places had, <laughs> but it, here in the temple, there's actually real hope of that. Right. Man can come back into communion with God, and communion with God unlocks for humanity all the pleasures that we want, all the things that we need are ultimately found in Him. Yeah. So it's pretty significant for a book that starts with Adam and, you know, kind of implicitly brings to mind his exile from Eden, right. is now showing us how we can come back to Eden. Mm. And that's so important for people that's just returned from exile. Right. So if you're the audience of this, this text, right, you've just returned from exile, you want to return to Eden. Right. So rebuilding the temple, um, having true worship of God, being faithful to him, all those things are going to be so, so, so important right. for the Israelites. And it's going to shape the way they think about their, their current state. Yeah, makes total sense. So we get a really important section. We got Solomon's prayer in the beginning of this, uh, in the first part of Second Chronicles. Yeah, so Solomon's prayer in chapter six it really sets a theology of the temple, and we talked about this a little bit in uh, First Kings. Yeah, mm-hmm. First Kings. Um, so I won't go through all of it, but it's so important as we're considering what the temple is about in greater detail to think about what I mean, Solomon says straightforwardly mm-hmm. what the, ta- the temple's about. So right. we see, look at chapter 6, verse 21. So, so Solomon's praying to God, um, living on a prayer mm-hmm. right here for sure. <laughs> and this prayer is so important. So in verse 21, as he's praying to God, he says, listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Mm-hmm. So that phrase, when you hear forgive, is going to be used again and again and again. Look at verse 25. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel right. and bring them again to the land you gave to them. 
verse 27, Hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way mm-hmm. in which they should walk. Um, you can, you, we can go down to verse 30. Hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. Mm-hmm. Verse 31, they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. And then he, he even goes on to talk about foreigners, even someone who's not part of the people of Israel, even someone outside the people of Israel. When they pray toward the temple, he's ask, he asks God to hear them. Right. You know, I mean, this is obviously very important when Jesus is cleansing the temple and saying this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. I mean, look at what he says, verse 32 of chapter 6. When a foreigner, likewise when a foreigner who is not one of your people comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your yeah. dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. So there's a missional focus to this temple right. that Solomon wants people to know God through the, the function of this temple, that there's a place where they can actually intercede and, and know God, right. Right, commune with God. And then we see at the, to kind of toward the end of the prayer, verses, verse 36, and this is so important, right? If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Well, I mean, this is literally <laughs> the state they were just in if you're reading this, right? right? You were just in this state. And Solomon's praying for your condition. And he thought ahead, much like Moses did and Joshua did, right? Yeah. You're going to mess up and God's going to abandon you. He's praying, verse 38, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, verse 39, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people mm-hmm. who have sinned against you. So Solomon, in the design of this temple, in the theology of this temple, is predicting, anticipating the coming judgment of God mm-hmm. and the fact that um, the temple is going to play an important role in that. Yeah. So, yeah, so big, big theology here. And God's response is so crucial. Right. Because God could say, well, that's that's nice. <laughs> It's nice that you asked for that, but I'm going to go with no. Right? We've all been there. Right. God said no to us. But God answers in an amazing way, right? We can see in chapter 7, God, God responds, and he says, and this is probably the most important verse, is verse 14. It's probably the most important verse of the entire book, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves yep. and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and hear their land. Yeah. Heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Yeah. I definitely highlight that one in your Bible. Absolutely. I mean, you can like there's not very many instances of prayer for the rest of this book, but when you do see prayer, you see God's forgiveness, you know? Absolutely, yeah. There's so. there's shorter prayers in the book, but not yeah. nothing like this. So this is, again, thinking back, think back as, as you're reading on the curses in Leviticus 26, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Um, this, is a, this is a pointer to that. So, the, so Solomon understands that context, and he's praying that God would deliver even through judgment, even through bringing his people to judgment. So, so we see in the reign of Solomon 
that God is keeping his promises to David and to the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. He cares about it. He's, he's, he's fulfilling that through this permanent dwelling place, in a sense. And we see the importance of the temple, right? That that is how Israel worships will determine their fate. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big deal, right? How Israel communes with God will determine their fate. So we're going to see a a decay in the temple worship and a restoration over and over again. Right. And that is so important. It's so important that God mentions, or the, the writer mentions, this king got rid of the idols, or this king didn't get rid of the idols, right? Mm-hmm. How you worship determines everything. And it wasn't just true back then, it's true for us now. Right. So it, it starts with individuals obeying God from the heart. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll see again and again. So that's the that's the first section of Second Chronicles in a nutshell, pretty pretty straightforward. And now let's look at the. We'll kind of d- just kind of dip our toe into the second section of uh, of in starting chapter ten. Mm-hmm. So I, I we see the split of the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, um, same stuff as before. That's very familiar stuff. But what we're going to see as through the rest of this book, we'll just look at King Abijah really briefly, but what we're going to see for the rest of this book is a theology of retribution. Mm-hmm. So the chronicler is very focused on this, that each king and each individual in the book is getting paid back for their own sins, that you you reap what you've sown, and it's going to show that to the lives of each of the kings. Right. So we're going to see that. We're going to see much more detail about certain kings, and really, I think they're amazing stories, very beneficial for us as we read. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more detail and more nuance given to some of these kings that before were sort of black and white characters, right. all bad or all good. So we'll, we see a little bit of that with Abijah. So let's just look at the, the Abijah story um, in verse uh, in verse 14. I have the wrong, wrong thir- thir- 13, sorry, 13. I have the wrong thing written down here. Now, in 1 Kings, we hear about the reign of, of Abijah, and we hear this, basically. Not much about it. All we hear is, he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, mm-hmm. and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father. Mm-hmm. So it's just pretty cut and dried. Right. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. Um, but in Second Chronicles, we actually hear some more detail mm-hmm. that we hadn't heard before. So we know that Abijah, or, or I think he's Abijam in, yeah, Abijam in First Kings. So there's different ways of saying the names. Mm-hmm. But in Second Chronicles, we actually see that a bad king can still trust in God. Right. That that there's there's more a little more nuance here. So there's we hear this one story. So there's a war between the north and the south. So Abijah and Jeroboam are at war. Jeroboam's that that first king of the northern kingdom. And really they're outnumbered. We see that that they're outnumbered 2 to 1. Mm-hmm. So Abijah has 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam has 800,000 chosen men. And Abijah gets up and delivers this speech to his army, to, to the Jewish people. And his message is one of the Davidic covenant. Right. So a, a bad king delivers this kind of message. We'll see a few highlights from it. Verse 5 of chapter 13. He says, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship... Oh, sorry, he's, he's pre- preaching to the Israelite army, not to his people, but right. to the Israelite army, that God gave the kingdom o- uh, over Israel to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. He says, don't you know that this the Davidic covenant is what dictates everything about the, the, the kingdom of Israel, and yet you guys are coming against me. 
Right. You've rebelled, Jeroboam, you've rebelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we knew that was from God, but it's still sinful how Jeroboam is living. <laughs> and he's saying, you're now coming against us in war. And he says in verse 8, now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David. So you you think you can come against me even though I'm God's anointed. This is very mm-hmm. good theology. Mm-hmm. He's calling on, on, on God's promises. In verse 9, he says, he says, you, have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron mm-hmm. and the Levites and made priests for yourselves like the peoples of other lands? Yeah, totally different guys so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, this is true, right? They've done that. They've created a false system of worship. Verse 10, but as for us, the Lord is our God and we have not forsaken him. Mm-hmm. We have priests ministering to the Lord who are sons of Aaron and Levites for the service. In other words... We're the true kingdom under the true king, of son of David, mm-hmm. and we have the true priesthood mm-hmm. and the true temple. Right. Wow, these are big themes in the book of Chronicles, right? So he's bringing out those themes and saying that that resides in, in Judah, mm-hmm. in the southern kingdom. So without that, you're hopeless. And then he says, O sons of Israel, this is the end of his speech, verse 12, O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Yeah. I mean, again, out of the mouth of base, right? I mean, this person who does not follow God, and yet he has so much wisdom, apparently, or God's given him this wisdom in this moment to say something that is so true. Mm-hmm. Without the Messianic king, without the true priesthood, there is no hope. Right. So why would you fight against that? And so what happens is the, the armies of Israel are ambushed. Oh, sorry, the armies of Judah are ambushed, not numbered. Mm-hmm. And, and we see this in, in the following verses. Um, they're they're hopelessly outnumbered. They're surrounded. They're they're bound to lose. Mm-hmm. Right? What happens in verse fourteen is the army cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. And then what happens is um, they raise a battle shout. They defeat Jeroboam. They they win an improbable victory. And in verse eighteen, it says the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed because. They relied on the Lord, mm-hmm. the God of their fathers. So the, the writer gives us a direct look into why they are having success in this moment. Right. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And, and it, what we see is even a bad king trusting in God can lead to deliverance for the people. Right. I mean, God has given them so many chances. He's going to give it again and again for them to trust in him. Each individual king can trust in God. Right. So, yeah. I think it's nuts. It's such a comprehensive statement. The one where he's talking about the covenant and, you know, the line of David and, and Judah from the kingdom of Judah. Like, how comprehensive is that? Like, obviously in the book here for its, like, main goal and purpose to point us to a Messiah. But, like, just in the whole redemptive story of God, like, that's a comprehensive declaration of what God's plan is to save his people. And it's coming from a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he but he he's been taught. He understands mm-hmm. who like what God's people are all about and mm-hmm. what they rely on, yeah. which is a king and a priest. Right. Yeah. Amen. Um, cool. Well, um, that's all we're gonna get through in Second Chronicles. But let's see how the gospel connects with this story. Yeah. So we've seen, you know, previously Jesus as the fulfillment of the picture of the tabernacle, mm-hmm. and um, and that was so important in Exodus, right? I mean, John one fourteen. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. The Word became flesh and tabernacled right. among us. So that same word is used for Jesus's incarnation. Um, we see that we've seen that Jesus is our temple too, right? In John chapter two, Jesus says, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up." And, and John's 
mentions he was speaking about the temple of his body. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus is the place where we can commune with God, first and foremost, right? He's the one who connects us to God, right? So knowing him, being in him, means we know God, right? Very obviously. And he brings a return to Eden. Mm. So through his success, through his victory, he guarantees for us a future reality where we'll be dwelling with God in a beautiful paradise with no worries, no problems, no pain, mm-hmm. no suffering. So, so that's that's obviously a, a big, big thing we have to explicitly say in t- in terms of the temple. Jesus is also descript- described throughout the Bible and the New Testament, I should say, as a building and a builder. Mm-hmm. So in Ephesians two twenty, he's the chief co- cornerstone. Right. In First Corinthians three eleven, he's our foundation. Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus says, "I will build my church." Right. So Jesus is is a builder, mm-hmm. just like Solomon was, and right. he's also the building. So he's right. he fulfills all of it, of course. Our Hebrews twelve twenty two shows us that what Jesus brings us to is not just the temporary temple, but the eternal dwelling of God. Hebrews twelve twenty two. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. So we're coming we're coming in as Christians to the true worship of God which is found only in Jesus Christ. Mm. So we we see that. I mean that's that's a, a huge theme in the scripture. Right. right? And we can point to to countless verses that talk about Jesus uh connections with the temple, with the sacrifices, with the priesthood yep. and all of that. Yeah. But one thing I would want to say too is as we're looking at you know we saw just briefly the glories of Solomon and his kingdom. Solomon who's just you know incredibly wealthy and brings true worship of God and he has wisdom and all these things is I'd want us to remember the glories of the future messianic kingdom mm-hmm. um, because that's what the chronicler would want us to think about, right? Yeah. What What is the true messianic king going to bring for God's people? And for us, I, if, if we were to say today, you know, following Jesus will give you health and wealth and prosperity, all these things, right? We would rightly say, well, that's the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. Right. To tell someone, you know, you're you're sick or injured right now, but if you just follow God, you're going to be well. It's not true, right? Right? God often allows us to suffer in our lives, or you're going you're going to have, you know, uh, a Tesla if you follow God, if you give money to the church, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily true, but what we can often forget is that ultimately those things are true. Maybe not the Tesla part, but <laughs> that you will be healthy and wealthy is a fact in the New Jerusalem. Right. When the, no. the Messiah comes with the fullness of his kingdom, the Bible is so clear. There will be health, safety, security, wealth, all these things, right? Um, streets paved with gold. There will be infinite riches at our disposal because of Christ. But that doesn't come now. Yeah. We live for that future future reality. Yeah. And so we look to that. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Well, that's all we got today for Daily Gospel. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.